You're listening to a podcast edition of Closer to Truth. For more information about this series, visit our website, closertotruth.com. Does God exist? If so, what is God like? For as long as I can remember, I've wondered about God. I was educated in science and tried to discern a creator from the physical world, especially from the majesty of the cosmos and the mystery of consciousness. This natural theology I found limited. I turned to philosophy, especially analytic philosophy of religion. I liked the clarity and the precision. And although I was no closer to answering, does God exist, I understood more about what such a supreme being might be like if such a supreme being exists. I avoided theology, which in retrospect seems odd because God was what I was after. Why my avoidance? Perhaps faith over reason, dogma, rituals, institutions? When I first heard the term analytic theology, it sounded strange yoking together opposing ways of thinking, yet I was intrigued, skeptical, but intrigued. Could the analytic bolster the theology? What is analytic theology? I'm Robert Lawrence Kuhn, and Closer to Truth is my journey to find out. How does analytic theology differ from analytic philosophy of religion? For years, I had the book that laid its foundations, Analytic Theology, New Essays in the Philosophy of Theology, published in 2009 and edited by Oliver Crisp and Michael Ray. I looked forward to reading it, but somehow never quite did. When I learned that Crispin Ray and others in the Analytic Theology book would be attending a workshop at the Logos Institute for Analytic and Exegetical Theology at the University of St. Andrews, I had to go, go to Scotland. I begin with Oliver Crisp, professor of systematic theology at Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, California. Oliver, I see a new field called analytic theology, and I'm intrigued that I know you're one of the founders, so tell me about it. Well, analytic theology is really an approach to doing theology. Uh, It started out from those working in philosophy of religion, analytic philosophy of religion, and analytic philosophy more generally, but it traversed over into theology as those working in analytic philosophy began, first of all, to think about matters in theism more generally, and then in the 1980s there was a turn to looking at Christian doctrine in particular. And what ended up developing was a kind of separate parallel literature in theology being done by philosophers. What eventually happened in the mid-2000s was that some of us, both theologians and philosophers, got together and said, this is a slightly odd situation. Would it make more sense if we try to bring this conversation together so that the uh, analytic approach was seen to be a properly theological way of thinking about these questions? But I think of it really as uh, an approach to doing systematic theology, an approach to theology that utilizes the literature, the sensibility, the intuitions, the approaches, and some might think of 
the tools of analytic philosophy that are pressed into service for a properly theological goal. So it's a, it's a method, it's a, it's a way of doing theology that, that utilizes certain approaches but doesn't necessarily commit one to substantive doctrines or ideas or concepts. What's the distinction between philosophy of religion and analytic theology in that when I look at the content of each in their context, a lot of it is, is the same. Is there a subtle distinction? I tend to think that those who do analytic philosophy of religion uh, are interested in more general theistic questions, questions like, uh -huh. can we prove the existence of God? Or what do we deal, do with divine hiddenness? Or what about the problem of evil? Whereas analytic theology is more interested in the sorts of issues that arise from within a particular theological tradition. And instead of standing outside that tradition, it's practiced really in a kind of faith-seeking, understanding way from those within that tradition seeking to reflect on the religious faith that they have. What are some examples uh, currently in analytic theology that are sort of the core content areas? Analytic theologians look at the doctrine of the Trinity, they look at the, uh, the doctrine of the Incarnation, uh, the doctrine of the Atonement. Those are three mm -hmm. core Christian beliefs that are also core um, research areas in analytic theology. But more recently, there's been a branching out. So now you find people in analytic theology working on things like eschatology, that's the doctrine of last things, right. you know, heaven and hell and the life after. Right. You find people beginning to work on things like liturgy, that is, how do uh, Christians worship? As the literature is beginning to mature, we're seeing new areas of research opening up and new ways in which analytic theology is being uh, pressed into service, into theological service, in uh, analyzing and reflecting upon really core areas of Christian practice and Christian theology. To assess analytic theology, I first distinguish it from analytic philosophy of religion. Philosophy of religion evaluates propositions about God and related matters, including the possible existence of God with logic and rigorous arguments, but without any required predisposed beliefs or faith positions. Analytic theology, while using similar techniques to analytic philosophy, generally assumes belief in God and usually adherence to a specific faith tradition. This means that topics in analytic theology are no mere thought experiments for sharpening philosophical wits. Rather, they are believed to be rooted in reality. In addition, several categories of topics fit more comfortably into theology than into philosophy such as Trinity and Incarnation, ecclesiastical and liturgical questions, and the like. I'm intrigued by analytic theology, not because I'm already a believer, but because by assuming belief, I can then see what follows. By giving belief its best shot by its best scholars, can I test the limits of my own belief? To pursue all this, I should understand how analytic theology emerges from analytic philosophy. At St. Andrews, I meet Analytic Theology's other co-founder, the director of the Center for Philosophy of Religion at Notre Dame, Michael Ray. The field of philosophy is sort of, roughly speaking, divided into the analytic tradition uh, and the so-called continental tradition. People often say analytic philosophy tries in ways that continental philosophy doesn't to be clear. I think that's sort of a mistake. Continental philosophers try to be clear. What analytic philosophers prize is a certain kind of transparency 
about one's, specifically about one's assumptions and about the structure of one's reasoning, right? So yeah. an analytic philosopher will, in the paradigm case, go out of his or her way to make really clear what they are assuming in giving their argument and what the structure of the argument is and where you know the relevant inferences are and what you need to do if you want to resist the argument. And they will make efforts to avoid purely decorative metaphor and you know, things like that, all in the service of trying to just get as much as possible out on the table the structure of their reasoning. Mm -hmm. And the ambitions are explanatory theory-building ambitions, right? So analytic philosophy prioritizes trying to characterize things, define things, all in the service of building true explanatory theories about the world. And so analytic theology works in dialogue with the literature in analytic metaphysics, epistemology, ethics, and so on in doing theology. Theology has been done a long time by theologians. Right. So I want to understand the difference between what theologians were doing, because they thought they were being clear, they were trying to be clear at least on their own beliefs. So uh, medieval theology, um, for example, that looks a lot like analytic yeah. theology, <laughs> okay? Predates the analytic tradition of philosophy, right? But you know, in certain ways, the ambitions and even the style are, are pretty similar. Theology of the early, middle, and late 20th century, what they're often not trying to do is build robust explanatory theories okay. in a right. way that it gets maximum exposure of the underlying assumptions and structure the arguments and things like this. They're prioritizing different things, things like demonstrating their um, awareness of and the fact that they are in dialogue with certain kinds of historical figures through illusions and so on and so forth. Or maybe they're prioritizing uh, rhetoric in certain ways to gain a certain kind of effect. Or maybe they're prioritizing the pursuit of wisdom in a way that leads them into very messy and evocative topics uh, that you, it's just hard to be clearer about, but what the analytic theologians are doing is just adopting a different set of priorities with the goal of doing things like, you know, trying to reason very carefully and in this transparency about assumptions and arguments and clarity about definitions sort of way about the doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine of the Incarnation, and things like that. While analytic theology uses the same methods and practices as analytic philosophy, but differs by focusing on theological topics from the perspective of belief, analytic theology covers the same theological topics as theology, but differs by using the methods and practices of analytic philosophy. By definition, analytic theology applies rigorous reasoning to topics derived from a sequence of assumptions, the existence of God, the Bible is the Word of God, and various theological doctrines according to diverse religious traditions. To those who believe in the truth of these assumptions, analytic theology contributes to understanding, clarifying fuzzy concepts, fixing hidden flaws. To those who do not believe, analytic theology has minimal values or powers, other than as brisk exercises and abstract arguments. But even many who are believers challenge analytic theology. They criticize its cold linguistic logic as contradictory to the hot holistic emotions of religion, 
especially one's personal relationship to God. Can analytic theology and personal religion find harmony? I should seek an analytic philosopher who respects the profound power of non-analytic factors in religion, and I think I know just who she is. Recently arriving at St. Andrews from the University of Cambridge, where she is professor of divinity, theologian and Anglican priest, Sarah Coakley. Sarah, from your perspective, what is analytic theology and, and, and what, is the, what is the whole process? Well, the main propulsions of analytic theology is, I think, to open up the discourses of analytic philosophy of religion to two richer conversations that arguably it has not been so strong in up to now. On the one hand, to engage in a much deeper understanding of the history of certain doctrinal tenets. Analytic philosophy of religion has quite often been accused, not without justice, of simply trying to get to work on logically on a doctrine as if it had no history. And so it's now committing itself much more strongly to engagement with scriptural scholars, with patristic scholars, scholastic scholars. This is all laudable. On the other hand, it also wants to do much more creative business with continental philosophy, with which up to now it has had really very tense relationship. So I think this is a movement of rapprochement, um, and it's a movement of uh, deepening of understanding of the historical contents of doctrines, but also at the same time with a commitment to making sure that the absolute clarity to which analytic philosophy always aspires is brought to bear on these tasks. I've had the experience of, of uh, talking to some theologians about philosophers of religion and the, the differences in the ways of thinking and the worlds that they live in kind of astounded me. Yeah. There's a balkanization between these subjects which has been long established um, <laughs> and a prejudicial resistance as well. Mm -hmm. And don't think that analytic theology isn't controversial. Uh, there are many people who think that this new attempt to bring analytic clarity to doctrinal matters is another takeover bid by the, <laughs> the logic choppers. I think very much depends here on the individual tone of the um, representatives of this movement. Does it implicitly have a fairly incisive critique of theology, basically saying what you've done just doesn't work, it's not good enough? Well, I think there are some people who think that's what it ought to be doing. They are the ones who are perhaps most hidebound by the idea that the great gift of analytic philosophy is to go around tidying up logical messes left by other people. Now, I'm at the other end of the spectrum within the movement in that I want to be absolutely sure that this rapprochement allows for the possibility of being absolutely clear about what you cannot be absolutely clear about. In other words, there are moments in theology where one is dazzled by transcendent mystery moments where one is dealing with paradoxicality, which isn't a, a cloak for incoherence, but is paradoxical because of the subject matter you're dealing with. Well, what's an example of that? Well, an obvious example would be the metaphysics of the incarnation, where you have the extraordinary idea that the second person of the Trinity took human form, took human nature, and when you try to explicate that and all the different ramifications, you often 
come up with things that sound incoherent or dead They may sound incoherent at first blush. Um, and I would never sign on, on to anything that was actually incoherent. <laughs> but I think that's where the trick comes, because you're going to have to pay certain cards, what I call mystery cards, you don't <laughs> want to play, play them too soon, where you have to, say, account for the fact that the human nature that is assumed here cannot be simply another human person mm -hmm. of a sort that we do understand, because otherwise we'd end up with two persons. Do you see this, this movement in analytic theology um, making a significant impact on theologians? Well, of course, I want it to have an impact on, on philosophers <laughs> as well. I think it should be two-way. But insofar as it sets up very stringent desiderata for the clarification of positions, I thoroughly support that. But I think it's also very important that one of its initial desires, for instance, was to prune away metaphorical speech as somehow unnecessary frill <laughs> to what should be a more basic propositional form of speech in matters doctrinal, and that I would resist. The concern that I've heard about analytic theology is that um, it, it gets its original doctrines from the Bible, but then it forgets about everything else in the Bible and how those doctrines are even, uh, are even uh, explicated in the Bible. And that need not necessarily happen. The Bible is dripping with irreducibly rich narrative formations, irreducibly rich metaphors. And in my view, it cannot be the desideratum to end up, after you know, explicating it, having reduced all of those to something else. Much more interesting is to look at the stages, as clearly as possible, by which this deposit of different books, different insights, different theologies, became, as it were, honed and chastened and brought into doctrinal expression in the creeds and the documents of the councils. Not, of course, without remainder. They were not intended, those propositional statements, to, as it were, render the biblical narratives uh, no longer needed, but instead were to be seen as um, the kind of template through which the Bible should be read. So these fears that uh, analytic theology is a kind of um, reductive takeover bid, whilst not without some truth in some quarters, needn't necessarily follow. Sarah exemplifies priorities. Foremost is profound belief in its personal expressions in religious experience, fellowship, and ritual. Then, with belief as the base, Analytic theology can help clarify areas of uncertainty or ambiguity. But analytic theology is not superior to the profound belief. Analytic theology is not testing the profound belief. What would it mean if and when analytic theology could not explain a particular doctrine of the profound belief? It would not mean the doctrine is wrong. It could mean that analytic methods cannot handle transcendent mystery. This is not my perspective. To me, if analytic theology uncovers paradoxes or apparent contradictions, I'd question the doctrine, even the foundational assumptions. Thus, I keep in mind two religious objections to analytic theology. One, if theology truly represents a real God, theology must be about human beliefs, behaviors, and relationships, 
more than about semantic syntax and logic. Two, theology must pay serious attention to its sacred texts. Still in St. Andrews, I go back and put these objections to Oliver Crisp. I think a number of people worry that analytic theology is a kind of Trojan horse, if you like, that really it's philosophy disguised as theology, or it's merely ersatz theology, it's not real theology at all. But I don't think it's really true, because theologians are always picking up and using philosophical ideas. Analytic theology is really simply uh, recommending to theologians a different philosophical literature with different sets of concepts that perhaps they haven't paid as much attention to that they could use to their great benefit. Some of your friends, uh, theologians, who, uh, who I've talked to, are concerned that analytic theology will exclude the primary vehicles by which there is this revelation of God uh, to human beings through stories, through metaphor, through uh, um, artistic or poetry, things that, that can't be broken down to second-order logic. I'd say two things in response to that. One is that analytic theology isn't necessarily going to give you the whole story in, as, in a similar way to any other sort of approach to a set of intellectual problems isn't necessarily going to give you the whole picture. But analytic theology may be able to do certain things well and certain things in a way that will be helpful. Analytic theology can help us to break down large arguments into smaller parts, help us to analyze those component parts before we then plug them back into a whole. And that is a good thing because we want to be clear in the parts as well as the whole and the relationship of the parts to the whole. And in that respect, I think analytic theology can uh, bring to bear certain critical tools to the theological task that theologians can greatly benefit from. Another objection comes from uh, biblical scholars, bi biblical exegetes, who say that uh, analytic theology have taken concepts of doctrines from the Bible yeah. and now do their magic or their strange things to it in terms of the logical propositions. Forget about, all about the Bible. Hmm. When the, only, the way to understand those things is to understand the Greek and Hebrew roots and the, the biblical um, uh, context, mm -hmm. and that by by taking it out into this very pristine, logical environment, you lose all the substance of the original revelation. All theologians are reflecting upon both the biblical texts and uh, other voices in the Christian tradition. Um, so that's not something that's peculiar to analytic theology. You might say, well, analytic theologians aren't paying as much attention to the biblical text. If that's the case, then that does need to be addressed, but I think that the work of things like the uh, Institute for Analytic and Exegetical Theology at the University of St. Andrews, and we're in St. Andrews today, is trying to address precisely those issues. What does analytic theology do poorly? What of religion is not susceptible to analytic methods? I ask Michael Ray. I think analytic theology is a particular activity with a particular kind of use, right? And it does very well some of what we want to do in theology. It does very poorly some other things that we want to do in theology. I went in to do a class on the problem of evil, which certainly has theological aspects, but I was starting the discussion the day after a student had died on campus in a very tragic accident, right? And and I went in and just announced to the class, you know, look, we're, we're going to talk about this problem of apparently pointless evil. We're going to talk about it in a very analytic way. But, um, and that could seem kind of crass in the wake of, you know, something like this terrible tragedy.
you don't give analytic theological arguments to people who are in the midst of dealing with suffering and stuff like that. But uh, being well-versed in the analytic theological arguments can genuinely help a person down the road as they are trying to think sensibly about what they ought to do with their faith in the wake of it. And knowing some analytic theology can be really helpful. I find myself taken by analytic theology and I should find out why. After all, theology per se has not prior drawn me. The reason I suppose is that analytic theology addresses deep questions of God with methods and practices that are clear and precise. Let there be no misunderstandings. Analytic theology is not about trying to prove, demonstrate, or justify God. It assumes up front that God exists and religion is reality. It then seeks to clarify doctrines. Those clarifications can be meaningful, distinguishing, potentially, between a God who couldn't be real from a God who could. Another benefit to me is that analytic theology does not require participation in religious rituals and institutions. Reminded that theology is religious rituals and institutions. For all the revelatory claims about God, I am not aware of a single case where God speaks in the philosopher's language of propositions and logic. So, do I trap myself in paradox? I'll not worry. Given the divine claims of theology, even transcendent paradox could be closer to truth. To watch complete conversations with over 100 of the world's leading thinkers on cosmos, consciousness, and meaning, visit our website, closertotruth.com.